You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hey, Live Different Podcast listeners, are you between the ages of 21 and 35, want to go and explore the world, but maybe you need to make some new friends because your old friends are a little bit boring these days? Come and check out under30experiences.com. We have some really amazing local experiences. We're not talking about uh, luxury resort vacations where you just sit and drink margaritas until you pass out and get some sunburn and eat all you can eat meals and do it all over again the next day. This is not that type of vacation. These are adventure trips to places like Bali, Indonesia, the rainforest of Costa Rica, Iceland, the countryside of Ireland, all over the world. And we bring together a bunch of awesome people, not only to have a great time on the trip, of course, but to also bring back a little bit of what they learned to the community, uh, to their local cities. And we get together in about 25 different cities all over the United States and Canada. So if this sounds interesting to you, head on over to under30experiences.com and check it out. We'd love to have you on a trip sometime. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, someone whose podcast I have listened to now for a very long time, Danielli Boelli. Danielli, I'm in, uh, in the middle of reading your book, Not Afraid on Fear, Heartbreak, Raising a Baby Girl, and Cage Fighting. You're a martial artist and a university professor, which is a uh, heck of a combination, which I... I have to say that I that I absolutely love about you and your philosophy on this. So, uh, Daniele, welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. What do you think of the book so far? How's uh, that going? I like it. It's uh, you know some guests we have, and I uh, I open up the book you know when I'm able to to page through it, or I download it on on Kindle mm-hmm. because I'm in Costa Rica, and uh, you know you you can flip through it and bright, but this is not one of those. This is one that um, you know you you want to read and you want to enjoy, and so I'm probably I don't know eight chapters in or so, but I've I've really enjoyed hearing your story, and actually as a podcast listener. I can hear your voice actually narrating it, so that's that's really cool. That's that adds an element to it that I I didn't expect. So you find yourself speaking in Italian accent by now? Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm digging it. So no, thank thank you for this. This is uh, I really appreciate it. Cool. That's great, man. Yeah. Um, so so Danielle, if for people who haven't heard of you, um, I originally. I think I originally heard you on Joe Rogan's podcast. I said, this dude with this Italian accent is pretty cool. He has some awesome philosophies on life, but they're also practical philosophies. This is not just like I'm going to sit here on my throne as most university professors do and and tell you some things that you read in books. I mean, you have real life experience and uh, you routinely get the, sounds like get the crap kicked out of you and also kick the crap out of other people, but uh, you, you, you walk the walk as well as just talk the talk, uh, and you have a, a podcast called The Drunken Taoist, and uh, I was wondering if you could explain just the, just the concept of what a, a drunken Taoist might be. 
I think it's about in some way, I mean, on one level, I dig Taoism, of course. And I, a part of the reason why I dig Taoism is because to me, it's not, uh, you know, most philosophies, most religions are about you have to endorse a certain sets of beliefs and uh, live that way. Taoism is, doesn't ask you to believe in anything. To me, Taoist uh, philosophy is about recognizing just how the universe works. And there are some principles that if you adopt them and you're able to apply them, they will help your life. And if you don't, well, that's just your thing. It's There's no great cosmic significance. Like whether you embrace it or not, it's really just your business. And whether you want to embrace part of it and not others, that's also just your business. So I dig the idea of... Uh, of a philosophy that's not a rigid ideology that requires you to embrace a whole set of dogmas and concepts that are not necessarily of immediate impact in reality. Like what you were saying earlier, I dig the notion. I don't like empty philosophizing. I don't like to just sit around and muse in the abstract. I like ideas only in the measure that they can help day-to-day -day life. To me, that's what it's all about. You know, if ideas or concepts or philosophies can help elevate the quality of day-to-day -day life, I'm interested. If they can't, I'm not. Um, that's really what it boils down. So to me, Taoism is a very, very practical kind of concept. And then, of course, the drunken part is to make it a little more fun. Like, uh, we're not talking about some dude in a monastery locked up somewhere, but Taoism in a enjoy life to the fullest, let's party it up type of Taoism. That, uh, that sounds like a good type to me, Daniele. I, uh, I, I like it. That's, that's really cool. Um, I, I, wanted to, I, I wanted to ask how you got into this because uh, I know you took martial arts from, from a young age and a lot of people listening might not really know much about Taoism or about, uh, about judo or bruce lee or any of that school of of very eastern something that uh, westerners think is as very foreign could you t uh, could you tell me how you got into that a little bit i'm curious i think i mean on one level i was just a good nerd so i would read about a lot of subjects and you know the, probably the first few times when people mentioned that was my read uh, some stuff and I think I read probably a bad translation of the Tao Te Ching that made no sense to me and I was like this is crap I don't like it this is just I don't get what anybody finds in this but eventually I'm sure I ran uh, probably indirectly I'm guessing maybe reading Alan Watts or Joseph Campbell or somebody like that I found enough Taoist references that would make it interesting and appealing and then I started digging more and eventually, you know, got in a good translation of the Tao Te Ching. Some of the stars start making sense. The way, the way Alan Watts breaks it down is a lot more digestible, for, particularly for Westerners, to start understanding some Taoist concepts and how they actually apply to life. And then it started making perfect sense. To me, that was like he wasn't reading somebody's ideas about life. He was reading life, like this is how things work. This is all the key principles of Taoism to me are so obviously observable in day-to-day -day life and obviously applicable in day-to-day -day life that it doesn't feel like you are... Uh, uh, I'm going to study about this arcane, weird Eastern philosophy. No, this is just the way, the way the universe works. That is, uh, yeah, that, that's an excellent way to, to think about it. What got, uh, what got me hooked, uh, of course, you know, I, I really enjoy your podcast, but I, I believe that you put maybe the first 
uh, lecture in your lecture series about Taoism up on your podcast. This is a lecture yeah. series that I listen to. And when people hear lecture series, they think of like, oh, boring university. Uh, I don't know. It's, it sounds like a lecture series. But I mean, it's applicable stuff to, yeah. to, to your everyday life. I mean, this we're seeing this... Uh, personal growth or the self-development, this industry, right, kind of taking off. And there's all these podcasts, people trying to better themselves, so, you know, people giving each other support online, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, this is, uh, when I did your lecture series, that's, that's how I, that's how I felt about it. Like it was another, uh, another building block to becoming a, a all around better human. And there was a particular story that I wanted to ask you about, and maybe you could, sure. uh, maybe you could, could share it with the, the audience. Cause this is what got me hooked. And it was about the, the guru that they traveled far and wide to go and see. And they, they went and found him and, uh, he made a particular comment, uh, about wine shops and whorehouses, and this is this is the guru speaking. And uh, I'm curious if you could share that with the audience because I know you'll do the story a lot better justice than I will. Yeah, my favorite guys. I think actually there was a Chinese guy, like a Taoist, uh, a Chinese Taoist. Um, I'm I'm gonna mention a slightly different story, not much because it deals with the same issues. But one of my all-time heroes is this Japanese Zen monk, and I mean Zen is very Zen is basically a Buddhist version of Taoism because Taoism and Buddhism, when it comes to Zen, they are very very similar. So you know you can kind of substitute one for the other most of the time because they are talking about many of the same principles. But this guy is uh, E.Q. Sojun, is, um, was a Zen monk from the 1400s whose main passions in life were Zen, women, and alcohol, in no particular order. And the man is absolutely hilarious because he was, uh, on one end, brilliant. You know, his grasp, uh, his grasp of Zen was so much more advanced than most of his contemporaries. And that at the same time, precisely because he got it, he was he hated what the Zen establishment had become and the way it had become like this ritualistic thing, kind of dogmatic. He felt like he was missing the point. And one of his key ideas is the idea that there's really no separation between the so-called spiritual, the sacred, and ordinary life. The only difference is most people go through day-to-day life in a state of kind of asleep, lacking awareness, whereas uh, enlightenment to him is just being aware. He's uh, going through life with full awareness of everything. But once you do that, then the so-called spiritual life doesn't have to be this uh, holier-than-thou, removed from uh, daily concern, far from it. So he was fully, and like, there's a story about him where as an old guy, some of the people who have been studying with him for a while, they sit down with him for a chat and he tells them, look, I'm old, I'm going to die at some point soon. The, um, after I die, I know some of you are going to take to the mountains and meditate and uh, I'm on the forest. Great. Good for you. Some of you are just going to go after women and just that's how you're going to spend your time. Both types of Zen are fine by me. But if you become a cleric and start blabbing about Zen as the way, then you're my enemy. 
you know, that's like the whole idea of like both types of Zen, right? Just wow. random wild sex with women and meditating in the mountains to him are one and the same. It's like, well, as long as it's done with full awareness, as long as it's done with a certain, then it's, it's the same. There's no separation between the so-called sacred and the profane. Wow, that is, uh, that is a, a, a really cool concept. And for someone who, who's listening right now and they're saying, wait a second, I, I need to rewind that. I need to hear exactly what Daniele is saying, exactly uh, what this master was saying, because uh, as you just explained, that there's no separation between, uh, I believe you said the sacred and the profane. I, I'm curious if you can explain a little bit more how one can be in a wine shop or a whorehouse or how one can be having wild sex with many different women and how that can actually be Zen. Well, because the whole point of this is to, is a transformation of consciousness that's about how you perceive reality, the ability to be 100% in the moment, the ability to live with full awareness, the ability to, to do things that really have nothing to do with what you're doing, it's a matter of how you relate to the world, how you perceive things, and how you position yourself in regard to them. So the what part is pretty much secondary from that point of view, which is why, you know, you can find uh, the secrets of the Tao by gardening. You can find it by meditating. You can find, you know, there are three million human activities that are just empty vessels. What counts is the kind of consciousness you put in them. So the emphasis for EQ is what kind of presence do you bring to your day-to-day -day life, then that's the part we worry about. The what you do, completely secondary. So, And Kiku clearly has fun, horrifying the Zen establishment that's all about these rules of behavior and what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. By doing all these things that I'm sure some of the monks would do in secrets, kind of like the dirty secret you're not supposed to, and he has zero problems just going, you know, he tells much of the Zen establishment that he finds the company of hookers much more enjoyable than the company of other monks. <laughs> um, he finds them more honest, more to the point, more real in a lot of ways, and you know, that's that's his kind of thing. His stuff is about developing a certain presence and awareness, not living a holier-than-thou kind of life. That is, uh, that is, that's really cool to hear that someone is actually saying it's okay to be a real human, to be, yeah. to be authentic, to be, uh, I, I don't know, it sounds cliche to say to be yourself, but you know, to, to face reality, uh, and, and do that with, with presence. Uh, Daniele, I'm, I'm curious how, uh, how people who might be listening, you, you know, you mentioned there are many ways that you can, that you can start to harness that presence and you can live your day-to-day -day life with more consciousness and just know what's going around, going on and actually be there in the moment. Uh, I'm curious, you know, gardening or meditation or uh, cage fighting, maybe in, in your case, I'm curious as, as to what people can, can learn, bring it back to, uh, to the nuts and bolts of practicality. I guess, uh, before I address that, one tiny addition to what I was saying was, 
the whole EQ thing about it's not what you do, is how you do it. Uh, the one aspect, though, that remains is that while he's casting away a lot of the normal rules of behavior of what's expected, what you are supposed to be doing, this and that, he does, he's not a self, he's not the kind of self-serving uh, guy who um, throws away all the rules just because he wants to get away with more, you know, his own selfish little crap. He's, you know, all the reports about his life describing an extremely kind human being. And to me, it's like as long as that aspect is there and you're not taking advantage of anybody, you're not screwing over anybody, then I'm all for the whole enjoying life to the fullest. And if that means, you know, whatever in Nikki's case, a ton of sex and drinking and partying and this, then good for you. You know, the whole point is as long as... But I guess my disclaimer would be you do want to have that, you know, presence and awareness is great uh, if it goes hand in hand with kindness, because that's ultimately what makes you a more pleasant human being. Um, Having said that, in regard to what you're asking, um, I'm sorry, what you're saying is what kind of like nuts and bolts from some of these activities can one derive like? Is that where you were going with it? Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm just curious because uh, obviously it's absolutely critical to to be kind in your your everyday life, and it's uh, important to be present uh, present and fully aware of what you're doing, whether you're at the monastery monastery or uh, or, or doing any other activity uh, in the whole sc- scope of things. But you know, you mentioned, hey, you can. You can learn to cultivate presence by gardening, uh, sure. and you've talked a lot about MMA fighting and how just yeah. getting the crap beating, beating out of you have helped you be there in the present moment. That's for sure. So I'm curious, uh, yeah, what your what your take is on uh, on that. What what our our listeners can kind of learn a little bit. I think, like as far as the fighting goes, what I found useful is that uh, there's something monstrously honest about fighting because you really can't uh, indulge in too many self-delusions. It brings you back. Like, doesn't matter how great you think you are. doesn't matter what movie you're running in your head about this. You know, there's a reality that brings you back to the mat and you very quickly find out with clear feedback whether what you're doing is working or not. So I dig that aspect. I dig the fact that this is not... Uh, yet another way to for concepts to be filling our head for blah blah too much sometimes you know words are great but then there's a point where you just need to sweat you just need to feel your muscles at work where you need to feel that philosophy is not something that you think philosophy is something that you apply in a physical body that uh, and the beauty of it is that you know whether you're able to flow with it, whether you're able to evade attacks and counter, whether you're able, you find out immediately. There's uh, and the realization, the physical realization of when things click, it feels awesome. It's ecstatic. It's beautiful. And at the same time, nothing works 100% of the time. So running into difficulties, running into the fact that. Uh, there's, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to run into somebody who's better than you. You're going to have all those things. Forces you to keep it real. That's why, to me, people who, uh, people who do a lot of traditional martial arts where they don't spar tend to let their ego grow incredibly large because they never have to test it. Whereas people who spar on a regular basis 
there are exceptions to this, but a lot of them tend to be a bit more mellow because they know that there's always going to be somebody who's going to be better than them and there's always going to be somebody who's going to be worse than them. So, you know, they are confident in the sense that they have probably won a gazillion of their matches and they also know that they have lost a gazillion of their matches when when things come around. So it keeps you honest. It keeps you honest with yourself, with where you are, with your level of skill, with what you can and cannot do. And uh, that in itself, there's something refreshing about it. No, that's uh, yeah, that's that's definitely refreshing. And the the ego check, uh, which you mentioned, I I just got through the chapter in your book on your your first fight, your first ego check, uh, and it's a it's an amazing metaphor for philosophy for all these things that they taught you in the classroom in martial arts. And then you said, wait a second, let me actually put this to the test. And, uh, and your ego, you know, your ego came out saying something a lot, a lot different. I was wondering if you could, uh, if you could share that story, um, or, or a little bit about how that's such a, how that fighting example is such a great metaphor for, uh, checking your ego and, and putting your, your money where your mouth is, I guess. Well, because, I mean, you can, in martial art practice, you can spend a lot of time drilling and doing this and doing that and basically play useful training games. But useful training games are different from when the adrenaline is screaming, when, you know, pressure is on, when you have a guy who's going to go 110%, not 50% on you. And realizing the difference between the real deal and uh, these these games you have been playing so far, it's interesting because you see how some things can work and a whole lot of other stuff that you thought would work, reality just very quickly teaches you, no, that stuff doesn't work. So now what? What can you do about it now? And, you know, and when you realize initially it sucks because you want everything to work, you want it to be a sort of master Yoda, I can point my finger and make you fly across the room kind of thing. And you realize that a lot of technique, initially you feel like nothing works. You're like, what do you mean? All this stuff was supposed to work so great and nothing is as clean as it is in in the abstract when you are training it in a very mellow, relaxed way with a willing training partner. But then, of course, once you realize the nitty-gritty of it all, then you can start working into being able to incorporate some of this stuff like how do you turn it from an idealized practice that only works with a willing training partner? How, what kind of steps do you need to take to turn it into something that actually works in reality? And of course, that experience, you know, many people don't want to do that job because they were happy with their fantasy of how things would work out. And when reality hits them, they freak out. They're like, that's not, you know, I wanted to inflate my ego and think I was the greatest fighter in the world. Losing sucks. Nobody likes to lose. And yet at the same time, usually when you lose is when you learn the most because it forces you to go back to the drawing board and figure out, okay, why is this not working? What am I doing here that's not? And you tend to be able to grow a lot from it. But of course, you know, it's, uh, it's growing pains. It's, it's hard. It doesn't feel good. You need to, like, ultimately, to learn anything, you have to put your ego aside and think, you know what? I don't know anything. Let's start from scratch. Even if you do know stuff, you're not going to learn it if you go in with this mentality of, I already have the answers. I know this and that. It's like just, yeah, maybe you have something, but shut up, put it aside. 
and go with a completely fresh approach. And maybe you can add something to your tools. Maybe you can... And that in itself, having that beginner mind constantly when you're willing to look at it and things with fresh eyes is useful in all aspects of life. No, absolutely. And if you look at something with a beginner mind, that's, that's how, in my opinion, that's how it feels when you're completely present, when you're completely there in the moment and you are, and, and I'm not a fighter per se, but if I was about to get my face bashed in, right, there would be no time to think about, oh yeah, remember that time in the, in the classroom where the, uh, where my master was drawing out X's and O's and, uh, or that time that I, I was up late watching those YouTube videos. I mean, there's no time for any of that. It's just purely, uh, almost instinctual or almost ingrained into, okay, this is what, I've learned, but there's no time to go through it in your head. You know, there's no thinking involved, uh, I, I would say. And this goes for anything, not just not just fighting. But if you're sitting there with a blank slate, then you're complete, you know, then you're completely present and then you have a, a beginner's mind, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, I completely agree. That's the way. Okay. Okay. This is uh, this is this is cool, Daniele. And, and you you mentioned um, you've mentioned about how people who have tested themselves right come with that more quiet confidence, who are a lot more mellow. And uh, in a lot of your work, you talk about uh, being that that nerd, right? And in your experience in life, yet you know people but you have this other side of you you have spent a lot of your time uh with your stack of books but then you've also spent a lot of your time testing your testing your philosophies and uh and getting punched right and so can you can you talk about the the importance of of well-roundedness and uh how a philosophy like yin and you know yin and yang uh it really applies to to well-roundedness and uh, and being that smart nerd, but also who can actually stand up for themselves. Yeah, I mean that's Taoism right there, right? The whole idea of yin and yang of having the fact that all of life is made of opposite energy and opposite. You know, in the West we think of dualism in. Uh, hierarchical terms in terms of good and evil. And I mean, yeah, that's one type of dualism, but the main kind of dualism that Taoism deals with is uh, like night and day, male and female, cold and hot. One is not good and evil, they are just different energies. And all of life is made of these opposites. The way the Taoists look at it, you need both. The answer is never these or that. That's a trick question. The answer is always both. Um, because you know, all of us, you can only grow richer as a human being by incorporating opposite energies. You know, it's great to be an athlete and strong and tough and develop those qualities. But if you have uh, no contact with your emotions, if you are a complete, you know, if you've never read a book in your life, if you, you're lacking a lot. Not only are you lacking a lot of other aspects of life, but you're even lacking something that can make you even a better athlete if you're actually smart and not actually purely on, purely on instinct. By the same token, if you are a happy nerd who read a lot, well, that's great, but how much better 
can life be if you actually live in a healthy body that's a source of confidence and not something you're completely divorced from? And again, not only because you would add another facet to experience, but also because the very thing that you're good at, your supposedly intellectual achievements, how much better can they be if they are the product of not simply a brilliant mind, but a healthy body and a strong body? So the answer there is always both, is combine those talents that people, according to stereotypes, keep separate, unite them instead, bring them together in a way that allows you to grow exponentially more interesting as a human being. You know, to me, it's never like the whole idea that somebody, the, the high school stereotypes, you know, the athlete and the nerd are sad. I mean, what's even more sad is that most people are neither as smart as the nerds or as strong as the athletes. Now, that's really sad. But even if you embody one of those ideals, it's still a sad uh, kind of half-life at best. So to me, it's always about mixing it together. It's about, you know, I want the strongest person in the world to be also the most sensitive. I want the person who's uh, sweet and nurturing to develop toughness. I want... You know, to me, it's always about you want all of those things. You don't want to choose one or the other. Yeah, and, and it's almost like people put you in that box, and then that becomes your uh, that becomes your your sense of self. Well, uh, this is the lunch table that I sat at in high school, and so you know, because I wore glasses, this is who I am now. And well, I can't go over. I can't get in the gym and start lifting weights because I'm a nerd. That's that's not allowed. And there would be shame and embarrassment and fear uh, that would go that would go into that. And and I, I'm curious if someone listening out there is feeling like that, uh, what are some things that they could do to actually get up and, and try to, to be a more well-rounded person? Or if you're a meathead listening out there and you've never picked up a book, like how do you even find your way around a library for the first time? I'm, I'm curious if you have any practical advice for people, Daniele. I think it's, I mean, because obviously it differs from everybody, where you're at, what is they are lacking. I guess it's always good to try to figure out what is that you're strong at, what is that you're good at, what comes natural to you, what people have remarked as a quality that you have, and where instead you feel a lacking that you think it would help your life to develop. That's sort of step one to figure out, you know, what do I, what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses? And it doesn't mean you stop working on your strengths. Your strengths make you happy. They are a source of your self-esteem. You need to keep them up. But also then you start putting yourself in those more uncomfortable places, in the places where you're not already strong, when you don't know your way around. And you try to see what do other people who are good at this game, how do they play it? How do, what are the first steps I can take down that path? How does that feel? And again, that's, beginner mind you know because it doesn't matter how great you are in all these other fields in that one thing they are going into you don't know crap and so just a the humility required to do that b what you're actually going to gain once you start learning stuff that are, but of course you know this is in general the specifics are too different depending on what exactly is that you're lacking and what it is that you're strong at but as a general principle to me that's where it's at uh, of of course, of course. No, I think that's a that's an excellent starting point. And when people start to feel 
that five-letter word, I was going to call it a four-letter word, but it's a five-letter word, F-E-A-R. That is four letters, everybody. <laughs> we know what lunch table I sat at in high school. Fear <laughs> is the word I'm, uh, is I'm going here, uh, is I'm, what I'm going here for. When people start to feel that fear, uh, I, I'm curious as to, you know, this is, this is the title of your book, not afraid, um, but in your in your experience, right? Because it's much better to hear from a person who has overcome fear than to just give general, okay, this is what you should do in this situation where it might not be applicable at all. Um, I'm curious as, as to how you get overcome fear. I don't think... I don't think I ever have fully overcome fear. I think what it is is figuring out how to go forward even when you are scared shitless. Um, To me, it's about... Because ultimately, you know, there are a few fears that are useful that are about being smart, that teach you how to stay out of danger. But a lot of fear uh, holds you back. It makes you a smaller human being than you could be. It makes you a more less, you don't take chances, you don't do the things you truly want to do, you don't ultimately be the person you truly want to be because you're afraid of failure, you're afraid of how other people will judge you, you're afraid of, you know, three million things. And so clearly giving in to that very natural, normal fear will severely limit your life. So to me, it's like how, it doesn't mean go insane where you just jump you know, with no parachute, so to speak, and just hope for the best, I'm facing your fear. No, you want to gently face your fear. You know, you want to go one inch out of your comfort zone. And then the next time you go another inch. And then it's like more like gently stretching rather than trying to do it all. Think of it as building a muscle. You know, if you start lifting crazy heavy weights when you have never lifted in your life, they are going to crush you. They're going to hurt you. And it's going to do damage to you. You want to do more weight than you are used to, but still within the range that you can somewhat handle. And then, you know, as you develop the muscle, you can push for a deeper layer of fear and then a deeper one. And you keep at it because that's where it's at. There's no one day, at least not in my experience, where you wake up and say, fear no longer has a hold of me. I never feel fear again. It's not like that. It's more like, I am one inch at a time. I'm now 20 feet away from where I started. I have a lot less fear in my life. Does that mean that you have no fears? No, not at all. You still will deal with it. But it's a matter of uh, smoothing the edges, improving tiny step by tiny step by tiny step, adding to the person that you want to be. I'm I'm curious, Danielle, what you think in your head when you do something that scares you. Um, and I never yeah. want to do this again. Why am I doing it? What the hell? I just want to go <laughs> and have dinner. God, why am I so stupid? Uh, you know, and I swear to myself, I'll never do this again. Just get through this this one time, and then that's it. And then, of course, after you get through it, then you realize, oh, man, that actually made me feel good. I gained something from it. Okay, I guess I could do it another time. And then the next time, you're like, why am I doing it? I never want to do it. You know, that's the game. 
Okay, and if you are trying to combat all of that negative self-talk and all the, you know, holy sh holy shit, why am I here right now? And this was the dumbest thing I ever signed up for, etc. Uh, I've never ran a, a mile in my life, and now I'm doing the the tough mutter or you know whatever people try yeah. to do to accomplish their their fears and uh, or accomplish uh, to overcome their fears in this day and age. You know, do you just stick it out? Is it as simple as that? You're, you don't have a, a mantra. You don't have, a, there's no secret sauce to it is what you're saying. Is that right? I think the one, if you want to, the one thing that I would add is get rid of expectations about outcome. You know, the tough things that you're doing, the thing that's helping you grow as a human being is the fact that you stepped up. Outcome is out of your hands, you know. It's like, I mean, it's not fully out of your hands. You probably have. But ultimately, you know, shit can go wrong. So maybe you do try something and you get squashed anyway. And, you know, everybody like the romantic story of the fearful person that tries something and they triumph and they accomplish something amazing and everybody claps. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you do something scary and the outcome is not quite what you desired, that shouldn't even be the point. You know, people get even more afraid by the thought of failure, by the fact that they are going to try these things and not succeed. To me, is the moment you stepped up and you went for it. You have already succeeded. That's already, like, the battle. Succeeding in a more traditional sense, that's just the cherry on the cake. That's extra. That's sure. That feels great when it works that way. But to me, it's about just fucking step up just go for it that in itself should be an monstrous source of pride for the fact that you are cowering in a corner making excuses why you don't want to do this and you stepped up that's what it's about that's what makes you a stronger human being the outcome again sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it shouldn't people tend to have their fear blow up tenfold if they focus on outcome because they know that they cannot control that but what you can control is step up and just fight your heart out. That, uh, yeah, that is that is excellent advice. Just, I think you said, just fucking show up. Just fucking step up. Just sign. Just sign up. And uh, it, it's cool that you you let go of of the outcome because then you don't build it up in your head. Finishing those twenty six point two miles or whatever it is. Um, I, I'm I'm curious if there's anything in. Taoism that talks about getting rid of attachment or not being, you know, only being in the present moment and not focused on the future. And that's something that I've tried to work on so much in, in my own life and it's helped me tremendously. But I'm curious if there are any parallels in Taoism for that. Well, I mean, a lot of uh, just Eastern, you know, Zen, Taoism, a lot of the things are about, that's a kind of the whole purpose of meditation in some way is really about just bringing you back to the here and now. Not about getting lost about what was, not about worrying about what things will be, but realizing that the only place where you have any kind of power is this moment right now. You have no control over the future. The past is already written. The only place where there's any agency is the present moment. And so focusing on that, increasing your degree of awareness of the present, that's really what all the meditative practice is all about. Sure. And, and then you don't have that stress, you know, because yeah. all stress comes from 
worrying about the future, worrying about the outcome. Oh, I'm, I'm driving sure. my car and I'm late. And is the person that I'm going to meet going to be pissed off? Well, you can't control that. And you know what? If he's pissed off, he's pissed off. He's not. He's not. That's just how things are going to work out. I can't, you know, there's nothing that I can do about it now about uh, it other than trying to drive a little bit more quickly and endanger the lives of myself and others, blah, blah, blah. But if you could just sit there and be present and say, all right, well, this, this is it. You know, I'm stuck in traffic. There's nothing I can do. I might as well enjoy it. I might as well act with kindness to the people around me instead of holding down my horn and flipping everyone else off. Uh, sounds like a, a little bit better of a deal to let go of those uh, attachments. Yeah, absolutely. It's, of course, easier said than done, but that's the still, if you can do it, it just improves things dramatically. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. Um, Danielle, you, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned meditation a couple times. I'm curious if you have a practice yourself or if just getting in the ring or working out is, is your meditation or if, you're, if you think of yourself as meditating all of the time. Um, I'm curious as to your take on meditation. Now, I think for me, I have deepest respect for people who can just do city meditation and just that's awesome. And I think there are great benefits from it. I've always struggled with it. I find for me, the one thing that keeps me mentally somewhat sane is just physical practices, stuff that makes me sweat heavily, you know, lifting weights, doing martial arts, that activities that really force me to be in the moment physically. Like, I find it actually harder to be in the moment if I'm just sitting there and my mind is free to run in a million directions. I find it a lot easier if I'm 100% focused on one physical activity where the mind sort of slows down and shuts down in a way because you want to just be able to react to what's happening on a physical level. I tend to find it incredibly easier that way. And by the time I'm done, I feel refreshed. I feel like I can't believe I forgot how good this feels, how I can look at the world with fresh eyes. I don't really get that as easily by just sitting and breathing and staying there for half an hour. Um, some people do, and that's great for them. And I wish, I seriously wish I could do the same. Um, it's So far, it has not been my thing. No, I mean, and that's at the end what you said is you have to find you have to find your thing. And sitting in lotus position is is definitely not everybody's thing. But the physical practice, right, whatever it is, I mean, that's why that's why they did yoga before meditation. It was the thing, the the twisting and contorting of your body into all these weird uh, positions to observe the mind and then being able to sit there uh, and, you know, and not have so much chatter, right? Or if you're lifting weights or if you're about to get your face bashed in or whatever, I mean, it just makes sense that, uh, yeah, that if you're physically doing something to let that out of your body. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just is the, like the times in my life when I've not been able to do that is where I've been by far the less, uh, like my mood has been worse, I'm more reactive and readier to just get mad at everything. And whenever I'm able to do that is when I'm like, ah, now I remember how to feel good about life. That is... Uh... Yeah, that's that's so important. Um, Daniela, I'd like to ask you, so you said uh, 
feeling good about life and that's how you get yourself to that that point um you know i haven't i haven't finished your book because i'm i'm enjoying it so much that it's not one that i want to uh rush through um and on you know on your podcast uh you've you've talked about depression um a handful of times and or hinted at the at the point um or, or it's you know it's a it's an epidemic in our yeah. in, in our society and uh i i'm curious uh, um yeah just what your your stance on the issue is and how so many people you know or we all have a friend with depression that you want to just say like hey dude just get up off your ass and and go to the gym and feel better or go get some sunshine but it's not always easy for that person um and so i'm curious as to to your take on the on the topic well i mean life is tough that's just where it's at so it's totally under there are a million reasons to be bummed out to feel terrible to feel that the world gives you a plenty of reasons for that so it's not a animal or strange propositions to feel crushed by life or to feel depressed. It's perfectly reasonable. It's, it makes sense, you know. I see why. And I think I'm actually kind of suspicious. Like, if, if somebody never feels that, I don't even know how to begin to relate there. You know, if you never felt these moments where you just feel just deep, heavy, dark, heavy cloud hanging around you, well, good for you, man. I don't know how you do it. To me, it's um, to me to some degree everybody will face it. Some people get stuck a lot longer than others, but it's I get it. But having said that, is what can we do about it? And to me, I tend to find that working with the body is an excellent step one because it's easy. You don't have to change your mindset. Nobody's telling you, no, don't be depressed. Well, thanks for telling me. That's not the way it works, though. Nobody's trying to, you know, it's like feel what you got to feel. You know, you're not going to, nothing anybody's going to tell you is going to shift your mindset and suddenly you feel wonderful about life. So having established that, okay, you have very good reasons to feel like crap, Nobody's trying to change your mind like, oh, if you only see the world like I do, suddenly everything will be rainbows and unicorns. Start doing something physically. Just because the physical body will work with you, releasing endorphins, gaining, you know, having adrenaline flow through you, doing stuff that will slowly shift your consciousness. Which is why, I mean, it's a stereotype, but there's a reason why it is, because there's a very strong basics of truth. Why the step one that anybody should do when stuck in a depressive state is workout. Uh, whatever workout means, whether it's lifting weights, running, swimming, doing a per, but something that strongly engages your body just because, and, you know, there are a bunch of studies that indicate that sometimes working out by itself with no therapy, no nothing, it can be as effective or more than taking antidepressants, which then have a million other side effects. So to me, that's like a safe step one. Unless you have some major physical ailment that prevents you, in which case that really sucks. But if you don't, then why not? Just, you know, you can always be depressed and be in awesome shape. You know, that's the worst thing that will happen. Or even get you to switch some of, you will make it easier, let's put it that way. It's not going to, suddenly you go lift weights and all your problems are solved. But it's going to be easier to be in a frame of mind where 
changing your mindset, changing your way of looking at reality will be a little easier if you are in a certain physiological state rather than if you have been stuck at home on the couch eating Doritos for the last three months. No, that, uh, yeah, that sounds like a, it sounds like it makes sense. And, and yeah, like you said, at the end of the day, if you still go back to that couch where the pile of Doritos were sitting, well, okay, you'll be in better shape and, yeah. uh, you'll have those hormones excreted, um, et cetera. Uh, my, what, what, one of the last things I, I wanted to ask you, um, was about uh, your kind of anti-guru, anti-dogma approach to all of this. And, you know, now we've all thought in our heads, okay, well, you know, I need to go out on my epic quest and uh, I'm going to sign up for a marathon and test my body or go find a jiu-jitsu master or uh, I'm going to go and listen to all of Daniele's uh, you know, lecture series on Taoism and um, I'm going to hire a nutritionist and, you know, take those people's word for it, you know, take it and, uh, and their word is, is truth. Right. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit more about why you don't necessarily believe in gurus. Uh, it's too easy to get stuck in human egos and people then nobody can live your their your life for you you know what works for one person may not work for the next so i'm neither for being uh, i neither believe or disbelieve anything i find uh, cynical disbelief as silly as uh, misguided fate in stuff to me it's Try stuff out. You know, yes, somebody has more experience than you. They can be a good guide in that sense. You can borrow. But ultimately, it's no different than talking to a traveler that's been out there in the land that you want to explore. And they give you ideas about, oh, if you go down this path, this can happen. Oh, watch out. But ultimately, only you can do the journey. So other people are a decent guide. They can give you tips. Maybe they can be very useful tips. But I find it dangerous to rely too much on them. Uh, you should rely in the measure that you gain the necessary experience and knowledge that will make it easier for you to go out and do the journey. But the journey is yours and yours alone. And it's so, like human beings love to pass on responsibility to somebody else. They love to depend on somebody. Everybody misses their kind of their childhood when their parents could, uh, assuming that their parents are not psychopaths who screwed up their childhood. If it was a decent childhood where you had your parents kind of watch out for you and make the tough decisions for you, there's something, it appeals to our laziness. So I find that over-reliance on the figure of the master, the guru, the whatever, is actually not really good for your psychological development as a human being. To me, a great teacher doesn't want you to follow them. To me, a great teacher is showing you how to become your own teacher. And in that role, they don't need to sit on a throne and be the revered master. They need some, to be somebody who's real with you, who tells you, hey, this is what I've done. This is what has worked for me. This is what has not worked for me. Take what you want from it. You know, take it or leave it. That's your choice. Nobody's trying to make you fit within an existing program of the 15 steps that you need to take in order to advance to the, that's all bullshit to me is uh, you know what's going to work for you and what's not you are the one who's going to test it you're going to want the one who's going to live with the consequence so i'll 
put all my tools at your disposals and you take what you need. And if you need to talk about, um, oh, it didn't work, uh, why? Well, like, you know, a good guide can give you some ideas, but they are, they are just a guide. They are not the one. I don't like the whole hierarchical master guru system where people end up uh, assuming that this person has superpowers that they can never aspire to have. I find it um I find it ultimately disempowering to you as a human being to rely too much on somebody. No and and taking what you want out of certain philosophies uh that's I mean that's 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 what it's all about and that's what your your book create your own religion is about is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me it's like that's where it's at. I don't believe in one method that works for everybody in every single way. To me, there's uh, people are different, so everybody should like. If you are a good teacher, you put a bunch of tools at the disposal of your students, and then they should be the one who decide uh, what they want to use and what they don't. And uh, that should be a free choice. Like to me, anybody in that sense should be making up their own philosophy, their own religion, their own approach to life, because everybody's different. So for the you to follow the exact same method that somebody else follows may not work for you, may not be the way you are shaped, may not be the stuff that you respond to, may not be what makes you click. So why not take the stuff that actually works for you and uh, leave behind the stuff that at least at this time doesn't seem to be working for you? You can always revisit this. You can always change your mind down the road. But I don't believe that human beings can be molded according to a pre-existing method. I think every human being should develop the tools that make the most sense for them. Now that's uh, that's amazing ad- advice. And, and Daniele, I just want to, uh, to say thank you because the tools that you put out there online, which are, are speaking from your own experiences, uh, ha- have helped me tremendously. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to say you know, thank you. You've got your, your book, Not Afraid. Your other one, Create Your Own Religion. You have two podcasts, The Drunken Taoists and, uh, and History on, on Fire. Um, and just, just all the stuff that you do. I mean, you're putting the tools out there for people. And, uh, yeah, you're being, you're being part of that. So, yeah, with that, I wanted to say thank you. Cool, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Is there, uh, yeah, is there anything that we can uh, our our audience can do to uh, to help you out in any way i need to figure out a way to come visit you in costa rica that should be fun now we're talking now we're talking hey did you like today's episode if you did log on to itunes and leave us a review it would really help us out we try to put out good free content all of the time Check out the show notes on under30co.com. Send the podcast to a friend who could use some of the advice. And, of course, if you want to travel with us, check out under30experiences.com and 50% off Athletic Greens on the show notes. Thanks for listening.